Well, this morning we're finishing up our series on who is this captain who is, uh, who is leading us on this ship charting a new course as a congregation. And today's word is illuminating. That was the easy one out of all the letter I words for the month was illuminating. Jesus illuminates the glory of God, shows us the Father. So let's get into that. You can see a lot of things from the top of a mountain. I have taken my boys to the top of Spencer's Butte. It's about as high as we've hiked. Um, but as they get into Boy Scouts, I have a feeling we'll go much higher and further. And from the top of Spencer's Butte, you can see Autzen Stadium, of course, and you can see Hannah's Lake, Fern Ridge. And you, and you can look to the sisters in the, in the east on a clear day and see the sisters. And my kids have asked me, Dad, have you ever climbed the Three Sisters? No, uh, only in my mind, but I'm open to it if anybody wants to organize a day. Doug? <laughs> And the Three Sisters are kind of Oregon's, you know, uh, uh, collection of mountains that are pretty prominently known. But in the Bible, there's all kinds of mountains. And because the Bible is, this, is literally the most hyperlinked text of all time, that when the Bible is put on a website, every line should be blue and clickable and take you all over the scriptures. That the Bible is this huge hyperlinked text so that when Jesus takes his followers, his inner circle of three, up a high mountain... All of a sudden, bells and signals are going off to the people familiar with the Hebrew Bible, with the Old Testament. In fact, Mark has been telling a very fast-paced story. All month long, every story seems like Jesus immediately does this and immediately does that. And now Mark slows down and says, and six days later, they went up on a very high mountain. And all of a sudden, his audience is going to know, oh, Kind of like when Moses went on Mount Sinai and six days later the Lord spoke to him. And so these mountains begin to connect together. When before Jesus or next to Jesus appears Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John, they know enough to identify who they are. Peter calls them by the correct names. He suggests building tents. He's, he doesn't know what to say, but he also has a pretty good idea. Because there is a sense of preparing a, a holy site and dwelling for these three great prophets. But in Moses, he remembers Mount Sinai, where Moses went up, received from the Lord the commandments, and as Moses came down from the mountain, his face was transfigured, shining the glory of God. And the people of Israel, terrified. So Moses would veil his face so as not to frighten the people. Or Elijah, when he flees as one of the last faithful people of, of God, flees from Queen Jezebel and all the prophets of Baal. Elijah flees into the wilderness and he ends up on Mount Sinai. And there in the whirlwind, he doesn't hear the Lord. But after the whirlwind, in the still, small voice, God speaks to this prophet and says, you are by far not alone. Go back and bring my word to the people. So when Jesus is on Mount Hermon with these three disciples, it's most likely Mount Hermon. We don't have to get into the reasons. We don't exactly know why, but a different mountain became the tourist site, but it's not the likeliest mountain. So anyway, Mount Hermon, um, there's, a, there's a Christian camp in Northern California you might have heard of named Mount Hermon. So when Jesus is on Mount Hermon, it's hearkening back not only to Mount Sinai, where Moses and Elijah experienced God, but it's even hearkening further still back to Eden, the garden, which is in fact a, gar a mountaintop garden. 
One reason we know this is because from the river in Eden flows four rivers, including the Tiger and the Euphrates. Well, things flow downhill. Eden is elevated. From the mountain and garden in Eden, Adam and Eve judge with their eyes instead of their ears. We'll come back to that. But I think about mountaintop experiences. It's one of the most common metaphors that you don't need to grow up in church to know about mountaintop experiences. You don't even need to be in the Christian tradition to know about mountaintop experiences. It seems like rivers have attracted spiritual experiences all over the world throughout time. There's something about being up sometimes above the clouds, sometimes in the midst of the clouds, very often in exposed conditions, There's something about being up on the mountaintop that not only helps us to see, but also helps us to see how small and insignificant we are by comparison. And then, of course, we have those pinnacle moments in our lives. I've never felt so powerful and frightened and insignificantly incapable as when Ezra came into our lives. As as Andrea gave birth to him, and I'm like, he's ours. This, This belongs to us. And I'm the oldest of five kids. I mean, I've changed diapers and I love babies, but like, this is different. He's mine. And you're check, you know, counting fingers and toes and you realize I'm in the middle of one of the most pinnacle moments of my life. And I'm not ready. <laughs> but you become ready. You get above the clouds in these mountaintop experiences. We can think of summer camps or vacations or reunions. Or the pinnacle, pinnacle moments in the difficult times of life too, where the grief is so sharp it changes us from life before to life after. These mountaintop experiences are very often also mountaintop exposures. They really reveal a lot. On a mountaintop, you can come face to face with yourself, with your own limits. You can come face to face with each other. It's hard to climb the highest, most dangerous mountains without a team. You come face to face with each other and how much we depend upon each other. And you come face to face with the Lord God. In fact, not only face to face, but you really truly become God's voice to our ear. Because what we see is not all often what follows us down from the mountaintop. I was blessed to go on a number of outdoor adventures with youth over the years through, through this church and through our partnership with Young Life. And one of the trips is called Beyond Malibu. In fact, Rondi, didn't you go on the uh, trip with, uh, didn't you go on Beyond Malibu with Pastor Ralph? Yeah, there, he led an adult trip as well back in the day. But we went on some Beyond Malibu trips. You're backpacking in the mountains for seven days. You are definitely getting face-to-face with your own limitations face-to-face with each other, uh, and face-to-face with God through that time. And in particular, one of, our, one of our occasions was really difficult. I mean, we had somebody who really struggled uh, to, to make it day by day on this hike, and then getting to the pinnacle, realizing they could get this far, but they refused to go any further. They couldn't bring themselves to get that last stretch up to the pinnacle. And I came face to face with myself because I realized selfishly I wanted to be able to get this young man up the mountain because I knew how proud he would be after doing so. But instead of putting him first, I came face to face with my own selfish desires 
to get him up the mountain. And instead of hearing his fear or his reasons for why this was as far as he would go, why he'd rather watch the rest of us get to the peak, I laid into him. I regret those words. And we were, we, we were friends to this day. I mean, he, he comes to our house pretty often and hangs out with our boys as well. But I came face to face with myself and my own selfish reasons for having mountaintop experiences. And it was not a mountaintop experience for this young man at the moment. But what's incredible is he hiked for seven days in the back country, something he never thought he could do. And on this mountaintop, whether it's Peter, James, and John on a mountain transfiguration in our gospel, or whether it's a hiking trip with kids, or some other kind of pinnacle moment, there's also this sense in which not only are you exposed, but then you're eclipsed. The other day, Ezra and I were shooting baskets in the, in the park at the basketball court, and all of a sudden the clouds covered the sun. It got noticeably darker and noticeably colder. And, Dad, and Ezra just remarked, like, whoa, like, what a difference that is when the clouds cover the sun. It's really this full sensory experience. When before Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, the disciples are frightened, but see the glory of the Lord, they don't know what to do or say, and all of a sudden, total eclipse. The cloud descends. It overshadows them. The only other time Mark uses this word in his gospel is when the Virgin Mary is told by the angel that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and impregnate her with the life of God inside her. And now for a second time, the presence of God overshadows his people with that impregnating presence of his glory. The eclipse. And in the eclipse, Peter says, let's make tents. Let's set up a shrine. Let's stay here. It's good to be here. But this is a temptation going all the way back to that mountain in Eden, to that garden. Because Peter sees glory and he wants to freeze the moment. He wants to freeze that moment when new life comes into the hospital room or new directions are revealed in front of your path. He wants to freeze the moment and capture it and stay there. Just like Adam and Eve see that the fruit was good and pleasing to the eye and good for food. And by their sight, they reached out and tasted, and it did taste good. But they were given a word for their ear, which they ignored long enough to fall into sin. And Peter, not knowing what to do, just opens his mouth and makes this suggestion because he wants to judge Jesus in light of what he sees, not in light of what he hears. So then the eclipse comes, the cloud covers, the voice from heaven speaks, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Not look at him. Look at my boy and how he shines with heavenly glory. Listen to him. And when the clouds are removed, the light and the glory is also removed, and they see no one but Jesus alone. We say, let us make. And the Lord says, let you listen and follow. After a mountaintop experience or a mountaintop exposure and after a mountaintop eclipse, there always has to be a mountaintop expulsion. You have to come down off the mountain. There's only Jesus remaining and there's only two ways to get down the mountain. 
In the gospel, you can go down the mountain with Jesus or you can go down the hard way. But the only way is down. On that unforgettable Beyond Malibu hiking trip, my friend who couldn't get to the peak nevertheless uh, accomplished everything else that week. And he was at the bottom waiting for us when we had to get down off of the peak. And here's how you get off the peak. There was an eclipse. When we got to the peak, we could see for miles. We could see the inlet in the British Columbia, uh, the, the ocean waters coming in. So you can see from, you know, seven, 8,000 feet down to sea level. And while we were on the peak, within that hour, the fog and clouds descended, and there was total zero visibility. And our only way down was with an ice axe and a snowfield. The only way down is to slide down the mountain and arrest your fall with the axe. And now to do that without sight. But our guide went first, because that's what they're there for, and he went down a safe distance, and then he stayed in the invisible fog with this, other, with this young man who was waiting for us. And the job was this. You just slide blindly down the mountain, off the peak. And when you hear the voice of your young friend and our guide, turn around, face the mountain, slam your axe into the mountainside, and then start kicking the toes of your boots in until you gain ground and footing. So that's what we did. It was awesome. <laughs> and what was cool is that young man had a job. He didn't get to the peak, but his job was to be the voice that says, now's the time to turn around and stop. You know, he, was our, he was our cue to, uh, to turn around and, and stop the fall. And then <laughs> he also did his own sliding down an ice field. That might be a story for another day. But the most honest prayer of my life came later that day when we were sliding down a different field in pure daylight. And this young man went down and ignored every voice of, our, of his friends and guides saying, arrest, 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 and just went headfirst into a crevasse <laughs> between a rock and then the melted snow where the sunlight off the rock heats up the snow. And all I could see from the top of the mountain was his legs going like this. And at the top of the mountain, I said, sweet Jesus, get this boy off this mountain. And he answered my prayer. I'm not here to judge who gets to the top of the mountain. I'm not here to judge whose voice is heated on the way down or whether we get there the long way or the easy way or the hard way. But friends, our only way is Jesus. It's not the law of Moses which says you must do this and it's never done. And it's not the word of Elijah who himself got to be taken up to heavenly glory in a chariot, not even dying. Elijah, whew, off in a chariot of flame. No, it's Jesus' word. And instead of a chariot to heaven, Jesus turns around and goes down to the valley, to Jerusalem, to the cross for our sakes, to bear our sin. Jesus returns to the valley for an exorcism. Immediately on getting down to the valley, he exercises an unclean spirit from a young boy. And in doing so, he exercises unbelief from the Father who said to Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
Jesus exercises unbelief and unclean spirit, and then he exercises death itself on the cross and in his empty tomb on the third day. Listen to this, Jesus. We're moving from this, this Wednesday forward, we're moving from ashes to Easter. Ash Wednesday is on Valentine's this year. So if you don't have a date, we're here this, this Wednesday evening at 7 to come face to face on that mountaintop exposure of both our mortality and our sin and to receive the goodness of Jesus for our sakes as he expulses, exercises everything that is unclean and unbelieving in our lives so that when his Father looks at us, he sees, like in a mirror, this is my baptized and beloved child whom I love. Amen. Let's take a pause for reflection.